This is the Great IO Get Together, originally recorded on YouTube Live. Although you can listen to the show as a podcast, you only get the full experience by visiting thegig.online/youtube. Welcome to the Great IO Get Together. On tonight's show, quips and queries about the world of work as IO psychology comes alive. Please welcome our hosts, Richard and Tara. Thank you so much, Perry. Welcome, everyone, to Great IO Get Together number 20, Put Me In, Coach, with Shauna Waters. It's my co-host, Tara. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, remember to subscribe, turn on your notification bell, join the show's Discord, join the email list. Uh, all, details about all of that are available on our website, thegig.online. Uh, all of our regular shows, and this one is no exception, have two halves. In the first half, we have a little fun. The second half, we get a little more serious, all with our guest of the day. So today on the show, we have Shauna Waters, Vice President of Strategic Alliances and, and Partnerships at BetterUp, SIAP Fellow, author of The Coaching Shift, which offers practical guidance on how to adopt a coaching mindset, as well as author of The Practical Guide to HR Analytics, both available wherever fine books are sold. So welcome to the show, Shauna. Thanks, Richard. I'm happy to be here. Uh, today's game is Would You Rather? So in this game, we're going to be presenting our guests with two equally enticing, confusing, or maybe just implausible scenarios. Uh, and we'll ask which she would rather and why. Let's have some fun, interesting conversations about our answers. That sound all right? That sounds all right. We'll see. I might regret saying that, but no, it'll be good. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> well, we can go ahead and get started. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start very serious, of course. Um, so your first question. Would you rather... Coach a room full of second graders or a room full of MBAs? Mm, that's hard. Uh, I would probably go for the second graders. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and I say that because, it, it, so I'm, I also am a mom and I have three, three children and I've taught MBA classes. So I feel like I'm coming from a place of expertise on this. Um, <laughs> And my observation has been that we spend most of kids' childhood trying to socialize them and like sort of create barriers to their thinking and things like that. And then we get to, you know, the time when they're adults and we spend all of our time trying to open up their thinking and unsocialize them. And mm. so since a lot of coaching is about um, possibilities and seeing things in different ways and things like that, I think the second graders are actually probably easier. Oh, well, so what is, so I, I imagine a number of our uh, viewers uh, aren't hundred percent sure what coaching means in this context <laughs> or in any context. So wait, what, what do you actually do? What would you do with second graders? <laughs> what would I do? Well, <laughs> you know, it's a great question because I, um, I talk a lot about this, how, you know, I use my coaching skills all the time and mm. using them with my children is one of the, the primary opportunities uh, to do that. So a lot of it is around um, helping them see additional ways of viewing things, giving, you know, kind of mm. bounded choices. I'm trying to think of what a good recent example might be. And also, by the way, if you ever um, uh, get into reading, you know, anything on hostage negotiation, lots of similarities, lots of overlap between that and coaching. <laughs> and I do think parenting um, toddlers is very similar to hostage negotiation. <laughs> 
So I'm, my, not sure, I'm not sure who the hostage is. I'm yeah. okay. I work with a small, small dictator all the time. Um, but yeah, so I, I think, you know, a lot of times it's they're upset about something and mm. it's like trying to get them to pause, take a deep breath. Uh, give choices like how else can we view the situation um, things like that there's uh, often cases where um, you know my my toddler is uh, angry because she wants to do something herself mm. right and so yeah. you know if I make the mistake of doing something for her and it's like kind of flips the gasket it's like how do you get them to come back down so <laughs> lots of coaching all the time I see Nice. Um, well, let's, uh, here, second, second question and go a little, uh, a little less serious, I guess. <laughs> Would you rather never go to the PSYOP annual conference again, or go every month for the rest of your life? You know, <laughs> There would be a lot of, of goodness to be gained by going every month, but I'm not sure that I have that much energy no. at, this, <laughs> at this stage in my life. I feel like those those bars, those hotel bars after PSYOP, I mean, you can't mm. walk by without getting sucked in. That was a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, look, PSYOP is great for me, especially at, at this stage where, you know, I don't get a lot of opportunities to go like that level of depth into some of the, the topics. So I could probably stand to, you know, one year go every month, <laughs> every year for the rest of my life. Like I would too much. Yeah. I would probably opt for never going again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's very uh, all right, next. Ooh. Now it is a little more serious. Would you rather people say that your book, uh, The Coaching Shift, is too difficult or too obvious? Too obvious. Oh, why? Tell me more. <laughs> well, a couple of things. Like one is, I think in general, psychology has the um, the benefit of seeming like common sense, and yet, like simple doesn't mean easy. So <laughs> I mm. think. Uh, a lot of people struggle with the basics of like understanding, implementing psychology on a day-to-day -day basis. So if, you know, I wouldn't take it as an insult if they, if they said it was too easy, but too difficult given that the intent of the book is to make it very accessible and make it so that anyone, regardless of their, their role, stage of life, anything like that can kind of grasp the concepts and and start to um weave them into their day-to-day -day life like then mm. that would be a pretty big failure wow. let's uh get next would you rather complete grad school again or repeat the first five years of your post-grad school career i would love to complete grad school again oh that's very strong <laughs> it is. I, but I mean, like I would, I, if I could find a sucker to pay me for it, I would be a career student. <laughs> I love being in school. Um, which is ironic because I worked all through grad school and, mm -hmm. you know, like was anxious to, to get through it. Um, and now in hindsight, it's like, I do it all the time. But I would go to a different program 
no, no love loss for, you know, the University of Minnesota. Um, but I, th- I think just to like get different experiences, I hear, you know, uh, every, every program has a different culture. And I also might try a different domain. So you never oh. know. Oh, like, like what? <laughs> um, well, I'm really interested in actually like anti, anti-disciplinary um, approaches. Anti-disciplinary. Yeah, anti-disciplinary or transdisciplinary, depending on, Mm -hmm. you know, your your lens on the world. But just like the idea that, you know, when you start problem first, if you're kind of Mm -hmm. agnostic to what the discipline or or set of tools or approaches are, you can come up with more novel um, and integrated solutions. So MIT does a lot of that as an example, but I Mm -hmm. think things like that could be really fun. Oh, neat. So you want to go to MIT now? That's what I'm, I mean, maybe that's what I'm I wouldn't rule it out. I would, if, <laughs> if I could figure out a way to talk them into like letting me into the media lab, even just like uh, as a fly on the wall for, you know, a year or something, I would, gotcha. I would definitely do that. Maybe you're destined to create your own program like that. Who needs MIT? Mm. Make your own. You never know. I'm not going to say that it'll never happen because I've said that about a number of things that have then become <laughs> the, my destiny. So. Uh, all right. I mean, our, our last question, our last, would you rather is, um, it's a pretty deep one. Would you rather coach or be coached by chat GPT? Uh, would I rather coach chat GPT or be coached by Mm -hmm. chat? I would rather be coached by chat GPT. Really? Yeah. I mean, I've had the opportunity to, to do that and it was fun. <laughs> what, what, what were you coached really? on? What was <laughs> whatever I want to be coached on? I mean, it's actually, I mean, we do a lot of obviously experimentation and things like that. Uh. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, I've done all sorts of things. Like we, we had a little, um, a little tool where I would, you know, say like, Hey, you had a lot of meetings today. How are you feeling? And, you know, have opportunities to engage with it. It's hmm. great. Do you, do you think do there's you a lot of Do you worry at all that um, AI is a threat to what you do as a coach? Um, I don't personally, uh, but I, I think fundamentally, I believe, you know, it's a tool. Um, and we've had lots of other tools that seem super disruptive. And I mean, it does change things. It's, it's not that it won't, but I think it's more of like a, a marriage of how these things will work together. And um, ultimately, a lot of the things that that AI is good at are things that, you know, frankly, I wouldn't mind outsourcing anyway. So I think it, it's, I see it as just ways to make um, what what the humans are doing more effective, more efficient, more specialized and more accessible. Totally agree. Well, excellent. Um, those are all my would you rather questions. <laughs> so, oh man, I was, yeah. I thought you were like totally going to give me something really controversial. You're, Wait, what should we have asked yeah, you? Yeah, oh, I don't know. I was just, I was like, I can't remember. Well, I think one of the previous episodes I was watching, there was like, IO history questions or something. Oh. And I was like, they're going to pull something <laughs> out and make <laughs> Well, we could say, would you rather hang out with me or hang out with Richard? How about that? Ooh. I mean, 
I had a good, what was it? Three years, Richard? We had a good three years. So, you know, I do like novelty. Yeah. Sorry, Richard. (laughs) That's, that's fair. I'll take it. (laughs) Uh, Well, well, excellent. Um, You've, you've passed, you've won, you've won. The game is won. won. Congratulations. Number one. Uh, we will take a short break, five minutes, uh, and we'll come back with, uh, with more show winners. So stay tuned. And we are back. Uh, welcome. Uh, rejoining us uh, today is uh, Dr. Shauna Waters. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, her adventures uh, on career and, and writing and all sorts of stuff. Um, I'm, uh, I'm going to start by uh, talking, asking you about your career path. You know, you have a, a doctorate in I.O. Uh, you've moved into a, a position, kind of an area of focus that I think a lot of IOs would find really interesting. Um, you know, the, the actual title, Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Partnerships, which is very impressive sounding. Uh, and, and two, you are an executive coach. Um, so could you tell us maybe a bit about your journey, I guess, from, from your degree to these kind of two, I don't know if they're separate roles really, but these two sort of uh, identities, I guess, uh, that you have at this, that you have now? Yeah, so many identities. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll do a little bit of walking down memory lane and, you know, try not to drag on with it and feel free to like stop me or ask questions or, or anything like that. But um, yeah, so very, what I always characterize as traditional um, pedigree in terms mm. of IO, right? I, I actually started working at uh, Humro even prior to going to grad school at University of Minnesota for my PhD. So uh, very eye side of things, loved measurement, individual differences, uh, high stakes testing, all of that. And, uh, you know, really went to Minnesota to work with Paul Sackett because I was interested in fairness and bias and how nature and nurture show up and all of those things. Um, got great training there, went back into consulting, external consulting um, for a long time. Back at Hummer, I also worked at PDRI for um, about three years at PDRI, 12 years at Hummer, which is kind of crazy to think about. But during that time, I worked on all sorts of pro- problems and, and um, had a lot of opportunity to do interdisciplinary stuff um, and loved the work. Mostly was doing I stuff, dabbled in O, and like it started piquing my curiosity then. But mm. when I left Humro and went into the government, I worked for a mid-sized government agency, originally in the selection group. And it was as an internal psychologist that I really learned that even your I project is an O project, because at the end of the day, there's so much change management and um, uh you know, the need to do systems, processes, implementation Mm -hmm. affiliated with even a new testing system. Um, And so I got really interested in that and like, okay, we build all these wonderful tools, but if we can't get people to use them or use them properly, we're kind of wasting our time. So I switched into the organizational effectiveness group and started working on, um, variety of, of more like org development, org effectiveness um, projects, and realized that so often, you know, the leader is part of the challenge. Uh, and for myself, despite like having studied leadership and leadership theories and all of that a lot, I didn't have a very strong toolkit 
to actually intervene with a leader and help them uh, grow and change and develop self-awareness and all of that. So Confluence of Events, um, Dave Dorsey, who is my mentor and, and supervisor at the time, decided or offered for me to go to um, Georgetown University's coaching program. Uh, George, uh, Dave is a coach. Wayne Bachman, who is also there, was a coach. So a lot of support for that. And that was like a super transfer, transformative experience for me. I had always been like, you know, a little bit skeptical and uh, went in. And one of the first things that struck me was how familiar it all was. Like, I know all these theories and hey, like this looks a lot like cognitive reframing and hey, there's like goal setting and motivation and all of these things that are embedded into this thing. And it actually was this great experience because it took all the years of my academic learning up until then and wrapped it into this really integrated, very practical uh, bow that I could use, not just like in the aggregate or in theory, but with individuals um, to help make change. So that was really an inflection point in my career. I, I had a, a pit stop at um, the Society of Human Resource Management, SHRM, where I led their research department. I was the VP of research there. Um, but in the end, I had been stuck in this question of, you know, wow, like coaching so powerful, had a huge impact on me, I'm having a huge impact on those I work with. But like, I'm not a patient person and I love scale and multi-level issues. And so like, how do we scale this thing? How do we actually have it as like a vehicle for change with teams, organizations, society even? Um, and as I was asking in the coaching community about that, I learned about BetterUp. So flash forward, um, got really curious about the intersection of technology and, and things like coaching and psychology more broadly. Um, I was actually on PSYOP's website, uh, you know, posting positions for my, my team at SHRM uh, as I was hiring and stumbled across this company BetterUp that I knew of who was looking for IO psychologists and was like, huh, got to see what that's about. And that's really what started the path down, you know, all the other windy roads that, that I've taken was just curiosity, having some conversations and then, um, yeah, following sort of what, what felt like uh, something that could be a really exciting. Um, you know, so basically my first two and a half, three years at BetterUp were in more traditional IO stuff, a lot of consulting, um, research, mm. assessment development, marketing support, things like that. Um, I did a short stint. We do tours of duty at BetterUp. So I did uh, a quarter in product marketing, which was really interesting. And then from there, we were rebuilding our ecosystem Um strategic alliances and partnerships. And uh, they asked me to come over as like a, you know, startup, startup, startup-y person, uh, a zero to one type person. And um, didn't know a ton about ecosystems at the time, but ended up finding it's actually a really great place for IOs um, mm -hmm. because it requires a lot of systems thinking, a lot of um, thinking about the outcome and working backwards. And there's a lot of data involved. A lot of what I do is technology alliances and thinking about, you know, data integrations and, you know, what value we can bring to customers by doing that. So it's been really fun. Hmm. And I yeah. love that story because it's just about, you know, 
being open-minded and curious and, and not having necessarily a 10 year plan. I think a lot of young people stress out about that. <laughs> uh, and it, it means that they miss out on those really amazing, um, happy accidents. So thank you. I love that story. Yeah. And I, you know, it's like, I actually feel really constrained when somebody asks me like about my career goals. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. man, I never would have predicted any of this. Like if you'd asked me, I mean, telling Paul Sackett, my advisor that I've been coaching and he's like, what happened? Right. (laughs) I can, I can remember um, John Miros, who is in our, my cohort at Minnesota, like doing his dissertation on coaching. And I was like, what are you doing? There's no data there. It's like one-to-one, like, how are you going to actually study anything? You know? Um, So yeah, I think there's definitely something to that, Tara. It's like, if you, if you actually take the pressure off of yourself and don't think about things as like a linear path, you can end up somewhere better than you would have imagined. So one, one place uh, that you've ended up uh, is that uh, not, not, not a lot of people get to end up there is as an author uh, and not of one, but of, of two books. Um, you've got uh, uh, a few years ago, 2018 was the, the, um, guide to HR analytics. Um, and then now coaching shift, which I think came out in November. Um, mm-hmm. Where did those come from? Who are, who are they for? Uh, and, and maybe in the serendipity path too, like how did you find yourself writing books? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I never planned to write a book. It wasn't mm-hmm. really a, a thing on my bucket list. Um, yeah. The, the first one came out of, you know, again, I mentioned I was the, the VP of research at SHRM and um, I did a lot of speaking engagements often on analytics, just based on my background. Um, and frequently in the audience, you know, folks would come up to me and, and they would say, gosh, you know, I know this analytics stuff is really important, but I got to be honest, like, this is not my strength. I don't know how to start. I don't know what to do with it. Like I'm kind of intimidated by it. And so, so much of it was like, you know, it's really not that scary. And actually you're probably doing stuff that, um, and leveraging skills that really overlap with what's needed here. So I saw a a big need and audience for it. Um, and our, our publishing, um, area was, was looking for a book on that topic and asked if I would, do it. And I saw it as an opportunity to collaborate with some, some really talented, um, more junior and colleagues too. So I have three, three co-authors, um, Lindsay, Rachel, and Valerie, Valerie, who, you know, well, I think Mm -hmm. Richard, um, and yeah, like that was really just about like, how do we make it not scary? Um, and, and that was important to me because in my time at NSA, so much of the work I was doing was in analytics or analytics adjacent, you know, things like measurement. Um, and it was really hard to get, you know, sort of the data fluency required um, from my peers in HR to be able to move things forward and get like faster adoption and acceptance and um, saw that as like an important thing for us to like advance people practices and organizations that we needed to get people more comfortable with analytics. Hmm. That's, that's great. Uh, that, that seems, is, do you have the same sort of practical guidance approach in, in the coaching shift then? It, I'm, I'm just noticing a theme of you saw a problem and then you wanted to make some resources or pursue it. Uh, is that what yeah. happened there too? 
Yeah, exactly. Um, the coaching shift came out of, you know, so it been right after I finished my own coach training, I was asked um, to teach or to create a class on coaching skills for HR professionals mm. um, at Georgetown. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of, or there weren't really textbooks or things like that for like coaching for a non-coach audience. Mm. So I really pieced things together and all of that with the thought that like, man, this would be so much easier for me and for my students if we just had the book. Mm. Um, but I prefer to collaborate uh, with others. So it wasn't until uh, a couple of years later where Brody Reardon um, asked her to start co-teaching with me and she's a multi-time author too and I uh, was interested in taking on the challenge and so we really we wrote the book that we wished we had for our mm. class but what was interesting was she and I also both like consult and work with a lot of organizations when they would learn that we taught this class they would ask for the syllabus and the materials and you know hey would you come and do a talk and, and things like that so we saw like a much bigger audience as I think the word has gotten out about coaching and there's a lot of interest in like building coaching skills among managers and, and others and organizations. Well, yeah, coaching is um, uh, certainly a really interesting area. Uh, one, it, it's funny you mentioned the Minnesota story because I don't think I, I even heard of coaching except through um, John Miros, who you, who you mentioned. Um, do you do you think that it's, are we on the rise? Is this something that IOPsych has, has started to take up or, or are we still at a very kind of like, is it still very much that, that that practice versus academic shift where the coaching community is kind of taking it on its own? Or like, how do you view the, the, the growth of the, both the discipline, I guess, I guess it's a discipline and, uh, and practice? Like, where, where are we going? Yeah. Um, you know, it's really interesting. I, I, I think it is definitely growing. I think it's getting more credibility in the IO community and more interest for a lot of reasons. Um, I, Evan Seiner has probably done some analyses or something on this, but I, I have, you know, from my own perception, noticed an increase in um, like sessions at PSYOP mm. uh, about coaching and, you know, more coaches who have IO backgrounds as well. I think that... Um, Coaching science has certainly evolved a lot uh, since I became a coach even. Um, and one of the things that I attribute that to is technology. Like I'll give you an example. Um, recently, earlier this week, I was reviewing um, a, a recent meta-analysis by like Eric Dahan and, and a co-author um, on coaching effectiveness. And, you know, there's, there's a, more than a handful now of meta-analyses on coaching but I was looking and I'm like, okay, this is great. There's like K's, like 48 studies or something like that. And like over 2,500 people, it's like randomized control trial and all of that. Great. Well, by virtue of working at BetterUp and having IOs there from, from the beginning, um, we've had, you know, validated um, assessments in place from the very beginning that is are used with all of our coaches and we've been doing this for you know 10 years now and so we've delivered over 2.5 million coaching sessions with a global network of over 3000 coaches 
Um, and they come from different training backgrounds, different demographics, different age groups. They're the members that they're coaching are all over the world, you know, different levels in the organization, everyone from individual contributor to C-suite. Um, we can look at different topics uh, that they're mm -hmm. discussing and what resources they're getting in between. And so the amount of data that we have um, and we're just one coaching platform. There's many, many others, like just the amount of data out there and, and the sophistication that, you know, we can apply uh, to looking at these questions, understanding really how it works under what conditions with whom um, has just grown exponentially due to technology. You know, I, I almost hear you saying that the, the academic literature um, is almost a curiosity, like it's not going to be able to make the same kinds of sophisticated claims that that you can um, with the with your data is that is that a problem well I I see them as like very like complementary and go hand in hand and and it better up like we um you know our our founders you know they, while they're not trained scientists or psychologists themselves they they more or less are and they've always had like a big um passion for and value around science and the academic process and, and, you know, peer reviewed publications and things like that. So when Better Up Labs was founded in 2017, a portion of Better Up Labs actually has more of a basic research mission um, and do a lot of, you know, submitting and, and publishing in journals and, and things like that. But I, I think the trick is that it's such a lagging system. Um, and there are like conflicts with sort of the, you know, what's rewarded in business with proprietary, you know, nature and all, all of this stuff. Um, and so I see both as really necessary. Like for example, one of the types of partnerships that are under my umbrella at BetterUp are coaching industry partnerships. And you know, when I have conversations with organizations like the International Coaching Federation or the Institute of Coaching about like where the, you know, symbiotic value is, we have all of this data, right? And we're constantly mining it and doing research. And we have over 50 PhDs and, you know, cross disciplines, whatever, better up who, who are equipped to do that research. And it's our research with our people and we're a commercial entity. And so, there's always gonna be some natural and frankly warranted level of skepticism about the results, the processes, yada, yada, yada. And so it's really important that we uh, work with others either through partnerships, through uh, peer reviewed you know, processes to have that external view and make sure that you know, the public can trust um, the, the findings that you know, we're getting from our research too. I just really appreciate your perspective because um, I imagine there's a lot of junior IS ecologists right now who are crying with joy to hear an executive talk about meta-analyses and K and they're just, they can't believe it um, because they they hear that there's this science practice divide. And, and I think maybe you'll agree with this. It doesn't feel like there really is a divide. It feels like we're all working on problems and contributing different pieces to knowledge generation. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely how I view the world as like both and I, I see like the science practitioner continuum as a continuum. And what um, 
feels to me to be the core value at BetterUp for like, you know, we kind of talk about all these different people or there's a diverse group. What, what we all share is um, the belief in the scientist practitioner model where we as individuals orient along that continuum is, is different and, and can even change over time. We have like, for example, when I started, I started in labs and now I'm in the go-to-market organization, you know, that changes like the proportion of how I spend my time, but it doesn't change how I look at the world or, you know, and at the end of the day, um, what brought me into, into the technology industry is like, I think the stat is that on average, it takes 20 years to go from scientific insight to practical, like, or wide, you know, widespread application or use. At BetterUp, because we have that entire value chain in-house, we can do that in weeks. So, I mean, that's a really exciting opportunity and it's not enough by itself, right? It doesn't scale. We need, we need the full machinery of the academic process too. The, so the, the speed of change in tech uh, is, a, is a really interesting dimension of this. Um, you know, we've seen in the last months, <laughs> some pretty tremendous uh, uh, attention to rapidly changing technology. Um, we talked about um, ChatGPT a little bit earlier as sort of bringing into public awareness just how advanced some of the language processing models have become uh, and, and bringing that to a really broad market, essentially. Um, so, and I, I think it surprised a lot of folks, especially those that, that haven't really followed um, how much language processing has been changing. So um, I'm wondering how you think that, uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier, how you think that interacts with where, what the coaching industry is, maybe even what BetterUp's doing in particular. Um, is that, you know, are we replacing coaches with language models? Are, are coaches going to be consulting language models on the slide before they talk to, talk to people they're coaching? Like, what, what is it going to look like, do you think? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, I, let, I, I don't have my crystal ball, but I will say it's a really exciting time, I think, to be um, designing what that future looks like and, and, you know, trying to make sure that the right voices are in that conversation to include coaches. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, you know, I mentioned earlier my personal belief, I think better ups belief, if, if I can, you know, cautiously speak on their behalf too, is that um, these, these models are incredible and they're only going to get better. And so I think there's, you know, it's, it's hard for us to even like wrap our heads around, like what's going to be possible in the future. And there's things that feel like they can't be replaced or if they ever can be, it's going to be a, a ways out. And those are mm -hmm. things like empathy and, you know, it's, there's human connection that we see as really a critical ingredient to especially transformative change. Um, that I, I don't see being replaced by a bot. Um, that said, I think there's tons it can do. And some of the most exciting applications that we see are actually in uh, tools for coaches and making them more effective. So you can think about things like, you know, there's a lot of cognitive load in coaching. Um, you're trying to stay very present, often take notes, uh, try to remember what happened in the last session, connect it to other things outside, diagnose like what's the issue at hand, what resources might be useful to this person or framework or tools or, you know, um, we, we incorporate a, a lot of research on, you know, given the outcome that someone's trying to drive, what are the key 
drivers in terms of predictors, you know, mindsets, behaviors in our model um, that I should be working with them or targeting on. So like all of that is a ton. Uh, so how do we help coaches do that? Right. And stay, stay present. So whether that's, you know, AI assisted recommendation engines um, throughout the process, whether that's, Hey, like I can have my, my client work with a, uh, a chat bot prior to session to really get mm. clear on what do they want to bring to session. Um, I think things like that, or even between session, you know, we might meet once a week, once every two weeks, like what's happening between, like, how are we staying in touch? Is it always on me to remember like, Hey, we talked about this thing. Let me check in to see if they've done it. Um, so I think it can enhance all of that. Um, and then I also think one of the things that at BetterUp we care a lot about and I personally care a lot about is um, democratization of coaching uh, and of science more generally, but uh, like access to, to coaching. So where it started was um, it was for the elite, the C-suite, uh, people who could afford the $5,000 an hour and all of that. Um, and through the advances in coaching science, we now know it's like one of the most impactful interventions for development. Um, and so, you know, if we want to break down barriers uh, um, to growth and access and all of that to leadership roles and everything else we're talking about, um, we've got to make it more publicly available. And today, if our goal is to have everybody in the world who wants it have access to a coach, every coach in the world would have to have something like 141,555 people on their roster. So that doesn't seem possible. Yeah, no, no biggie. Um, <laughs> little, little emotional labor. But so we're going to have to use technology to help mm. us get there. We're going to have to also increase coach supply, but we're going to have to use technology. And so you can imagine a world where um, certain types of problems, certain stages of life, like if I'm an individual contributor, first job ever, like, do I need you know, um, Dave, David Peterson as my coach or Marshall Goldsmith, probably not. Um, so like what are, and that's where the science comes in. Like how, how do we learn where the best places to use technology are and like where a human really has to be in the loop? Hmm. Well, so you, you've, um, I think you might've, uh, sparked the interest of, of some folks about what, what coaching actually involves them on, on the ground. Uh, I've heard, I've heard sessions is one of the ways you describe having a session with a coach. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, I'm not totally sure what that even looked like, uh, with, um, uh, virtually. So kind of what I would wonder now is, is it possible maybe to close this up, um, to give our viewers like a, a taste of authentic coaching? Um, and maybe, I, maybe I'll leave it to you as to whether you want to coach us here or maybe a grad students out there or, or coach Richard. Me, it's fine. Oh yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah, what? Should we do a should we do a mock session, Richard? Oh, okay. <laughs> bring a bring a real problem. What's important today? Uh, I would I would like to get through this show successfully. Is my immediate problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, you, you said you want to get through the show successfully. What does what does success mean? Oh God, what have I done? <laughs> Uh, I, I would like our viewers to have a good time, feel like they've been informed, a little entertained, and uh, demystify a little bit uh, about I.O. and how it, how it works in the world. 
Yeah. How will how will you know? I won't. I won't know. Oh. <laughs> that's actually a great. That's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. Okay. Do you feel like you've achieved that success in the past? Oh, good question. Yeah, <laughs> there there are definitely episodes that we get feedback on. People will stop us at the conference or emails or people we run into are like, oh, I saw that episode. That was great. It, you know, I learned something or it was funny or whatever it might be. That's that's probably the best the best we've got so far. And in, for those shows where you've gotten positive feedback, what do you notice about how you felt at the end of the show? Uh, they were... I think they were higher energy, I think. Mm -hmm. Feeling, yeah, I feel like at the end of good shows, we could have kept talking for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not anxious for them to end. So, so you want to get through the show, make sure it's successful. Mm -hmm. And you might know that by like getting to the end and feeling like you could keep talking for a while. How are you yeah. feeling right now? This is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel a little, little heightened right now from from this this live session, but otherwise, being it's on the pretty spot. Good. Yeah, <laughs> I personally feel like this could go on for hours. This is great. I'm enjoying this very much. <laughs> All right, well then we'll call it a success. Wonderful. <laughs> oh goodness. Oh, and echoed in our Discord too. Anytime Richard is uncomfortable is a good time. Thanks so much for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and now my personal metric of success has been achieved too. Me too. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. This has been great. I'm going to go ahead and, and call it, though we could go for hours, I'm sure. I'm going I'm to call it here. Thank, thanks so much for coming in. This, this has been great. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Thank you both. <laughs> We're at the end now. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. This has been it for gig number 20. You can see how off I am from this, this coaching session that I just had. Uh, if you did enjoy yourself today, please be sure to subscribe, turn on notifications, join Discord, join our email list. Uh, all of that can be done at the website, thegig.online. Stay connected. We're happy to have you back. Um, thanks for watching, and we will see you next time for another great IO get-together. Bye. Oh, the times were hard and the wages low. Leave a Johnny, leave a... I guess it's time for us to go. And it's time for us to leave her. Leave a Johnny, leave her. Oh, leave a Johnny, leave her. For the voyage is done and the winds don't blow. That's it for another gig. To stay in touch, subscribe on YouTube, check out our website at thegig.online, join our LinkedIn group, sign up for our email notification list, and join our Discord. So many ways to connect. Thanks for joining us, and see you next time for another great I.O. get-together.